Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. In this episode, we're going to discuss a story of sitcoms and superheroes, a scarlet witch and a ship of Theseus. Sailing on a sea of trauma, grief, and love persevering. Oh, and there's also a dick joke. We're discussing WandaVision, the 2021 live-action Marvel television series on Disney+. Mike, what are your opening thoughts about WandaVision? Well, for me, like many, at first I wasn't really sure what to think about it. The first couple of episodes, they were entertaining, but they didn't really give us much, and we still didn't really know what was happening, what was going on. They did a really good job of stretching that out, keeping us guessing what was happening, what was going on. Uh, overall, I really enjoyed the series. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with the results. I'm good with it. I loved it. What about you, Jim? I had a hard time getting into it at first, similar to what you had just said, the first couple of episodes, because when it came out, the first two episodes dropped at once, and then it went week to week after that. I watched those first two episodes, and my immediate reaction was, I want to like this, but I can't find a reason to yet. So I actually decided I'll just wait until all of the episodes are done, and then I'll go back and binge it, because I wasn't sure if I was going to want to watch week to week, because after those first two episodes, I was like, eh, I'm sure this is going somewhere, but I just don't know where quite yet. And then fucking social media started spoiling everything, even like more so than usual. And it was just like, okay, I'm learning everything that's going to happen. Like they were putting like all of the plot points, screen captures with, with closed captioning on. So you even saw the dialogue. I was like, okay, well, I guess I might as well start watching because I'm learning everything about it anyway. So I binged, I think, episodes three through six to catch up at that point. And then for the last three episodes, seven, eight, and nine, I actually did watch week to week before spoilers could affect me. So by the end of the series, I really started to enjoy it. And maybe by about episode seven, was I was convinced that, yeah, this is a really good show. And by the end, it was like, yep, I really enjoyed this and I'm glad that I watched it. But it was, it was tough going early on. And again, if it wasn't for the social media spoilers, I might have put off finishing this for a while because that start was difficult to find something to latch onto. Well, speaking of spoilers, we will be heavy on the spoilers yet again on this episode. Yes, if you haven't seen WandaVision yet, I don't know why you would be listening to this podcast, but yeah, as we proceed, full speed ahead on the spoilers. Jim, lead us on this journey. <laughs> so let's try to focus first on the sort of the story elements and the the episode highlights. One of the things first is the the show was a cool nod to sitcoms through the decades. So it started with like 1950s all the way through to the modern day where each episode was 
about like one decade or sometimes it spans more than one decade to bring us up to the present time. So it was a clever idea and it was well executed. It was weird early on, but one of the benefits of it was it really gave the actors a chance to perform and shine. Like Elizabeth Olsen deserves a lot of credit. She did phenomenal acting throughout the series in, in all aspects, but she really did a great job of, of the sitcom stuff because there was a lot of storylines and story tropes and joke setups and other types of things that were just basically, this is what a sitcom of this decade would have done with this kind of a story. And she did a fantastic job, as did Paul Bettany, who I sometimes just discount as an actor because he's such a good actor. I don't see him as good because I just expect him to always be good. But Catherine Hahn was also phenomenal. Again, all throughout, but especially like the sitcom aspects of it. What in general, what did you think about the, the sitcom aspect of the show? Before I jump into that, I just want to kind of hit on what you just said. I, Catherine Hahn did phenomenal. And but she really her character never really changed much. Her look changed, but her character didn't really change much. Well, she had two characters. She had the in hex character and then her actual character. And then kind of the same with Paul Bettany. He only really had one character and it didn't really change much from episode to the episode. But Elizabeth Olsen changed completely or almost completely every episode. And then she would just jump from her episodic character to her regular Wanda character and then back just seamlessly. So like you said, she she deserves all the awards. Yeah, she was the one who who they had lean into the sitcom aspect yeah. the most. Yeah, the other people were there, but when to really capture like the essence of the decade that they were doing, they put most of that on Elizabeth Olsen and she was fantastic. Right. But as far as the the actual sitcom thing, I'm not really a sitcom guy. I never really have been. I watched some growing up, so I have an understanding. I understand the concept, and I enjoyed the concept. But it didn't really do a lot for me until the story tied it all together and we understood why they were bringing in the sitcom aspects. And then from there, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Once it became clearer, that's why like the first three episodes were kind of a struggle because it wasn't until like the very end of the third episode that we really broke out of the sitcom reality, both figuratively and literally, like the characters broke character inside the show. And then Geraldine literally gets thrown through the barrier of the sitcom reality. So, and that that's at the end of episode three. So up until then, it's just like, okay, we're in some kind of unexplained sitcom reality. We have no idea what's going on. Later, when you get to the end of the series, they completely explain why the sitcom thing was done in story and it made sense, but it was hard to, to get into early on. And some of the stuff that happens later again, on the first watch, since I do like sitcoms, I did appreciate the nod, but it wasn't the sitcom aspect of it, especially was just not very rewatchable, but I did appreciate what they did there. And I thought it was a clever idea for the show. Yeah, I don't know. I would argue the rewatchability for it because I think this is an argument that we can't we get into a lot about you want the story. And that seems to be really what you just all you really want. So yeah, I agree. Those episodes are not necessary whatsoever for the story. But I'm watching for entertainment, and those episodes are highly entertaining. Oh, I'm not saying that they're not entertaining. They're entertaining on the first watch. 
For me, they lose their entertainment value after the first watch. Just, just for me. For me, they were just as entertaining, actually, because now I under the second time through, third time through, I know where the story's going, so I can pick up on the hints, and that makes it more entertaining. So the the entertainment that I lost because I've already seen it gets picked back up by the little details that are there. I could see that. You have to watch all nine episodes for the first watch. But the way that the story of the series is structured, it's very much built on mystery and misdirection. So there's just like from the very beginning, like we said, you were immersed in this sitcom reality without explanation. Obviously, there has to be some explanation. And there are things that are left in there for clues. But there's also a lot of misdirection because magic becomes a big aspect of the show. And in real world magic, misdirection is a big part of magic. After you get through the first watch and you go back, now you know what was actually a clue and what was just a misdirection. There are still things that are left unanswered or open to interpretation or debate. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the major mysteries are clarified and you know what was meant as a clue and what was meant as just a pure misdirection. So for me on the rewatch, when I rewatched the series like I did this morning to prep for this, I only watched three episodes. I watched episodes four, eight, and nine, and that's it. Well, I would hardly call that a rewatch, but yeah, that's, that's all you really need for the full story. That's all you really need for the full story, but also I mean, the way that the episodes are structured, too. There's a previously on, at the beginning of every episode, they recap what's happened previously that's important to the story of the episode you're about to watch. And most of that just hits basically the main story beats that you needed up along there. Like, again, I can easily skip the first three episodes because it's all sitcom-y. Yeah. And episode four for me was like the most important episode because it was finally like, you got to give me something. Ground me in what the heck is going on? Where are we in the MCU timeline? So, I mean, it doesn't answer all the questions, but we get established that it is a sitcom reality we think by the end of episode four that one is in control of it, but that's the other sort of ongoing mystery on the first watch. Who created it? Who's in control of it? Who's aware of it? And that starts to unfold slowly. But episode four also brought us into, okay, we're, we're very close to the timeline of Avengers Endgame, only about a month later. We also know that S.W.O.R.D., which is the base-based version of S.H.I.E.L.D., is there to investigate, and we get some fan-favorite returning supporting characters. Randall Park as Jimmy Woo and Kat Dennings as now Dr. Darcy Lewis to help ground us. Hey, we know those people from, you know, the movies. And they help us to understand and work with Geraldine, who we knew for the first few episodes is revealed to be Monica Rambeau, the daughter of Maria Rambeau from Captain Marvel, which we'll come back to more in a bit. But now it's like, oh, and we also got that whole, oh, the whole blip thing, the unsnapping and what's happening in the world. So it's like, oh, okay, now I feel more grounded. And then from episode four forward, maybe you could argue, watch all of the episodes from, from four forward. But the first three for me, eh, that's just me. That's fair. I found every episode entertaining. And, and again, I, I like when the story is there, but I just want to be entertained. So dance monkeys entertain me. They did that throughout the entire thing. <laughs> the other thing that's about the way that why I, I find the story less rewatchable. And I, I have watched the entire series all the way through all nine episodes. 
twice. So I only started skipping episodes on the second rewatch. But the other thing that had happened, and on your first watch, whether you were literally watching it week to week as it was coming out, or as some people just wanted to use a free two-week subscription to Disney Plus and just wait until all the episodes dropped and then use a free two-week subscription to watch all of the episodes. It's still the first watch. But your first time through, almost every episode, and again, it's not like they invented this concept. It's done in TV all the time, is that most of the episodes end with some type of like cliffhanger, surprise, or tease to what's coming next. And in the week-to-week format, that's what really just exploded the fan speculation. Like at the end of episode three, Geraldine gets thrown through some barrier and like, oh, finally we see the real world, but what does that mean? And then, and people are, are all discussing that. Or the big one that made the internet explode, Pietro showing up at the end of episode five. And then all of the speculation that went along with that. And then even other things like the end of episode seven, we find out that Agnes is really Agatha Harkness. And then the episode eight, lots of reveals for both Wanda and for Vision. And again, when you're watching it week to week, it was great. First watch, it was great. Made you think about what was happening next, especially if you were watching it week in a week and not binging because it, it gave you a week to, to talk about it and to think about it. Yeah. I still say that those are all awesome to watch at the second watch too, though, because... Again, knowing knowing what you know at the end, seeing that's like, oh, okay, I see the little little things that are there. I love that. I live for that. I guess I can see that. I, I just didn't see a lot of that in this show. Yeah. I guess you could look into things as deeply as you want to, but for me, there really wasn't a lot. Like in episode five, we just get a little bit more of Monica and the sword theme trying to figure things out, but... Inside the episode, not a lot is, is happening and until Pietro shows up at the end. And again, if the story had gone in some other directions, maybe I would be more interested in episodes five, six, and seven. But a lot of like pedestrian stuff happens of just, we got to figure out a way to get back inside the anomaly and we got to figure out a way to do this or that. And, and then again, where Pietro ends up or doesn't end up, Maybe that would have made episode six more interesting to me. I'm not saying it wasn't entertaining, but like you had said earlier, I'm a story guy. And from a story perspective, nothing really happens in those episodes that I need to rewatch. Well, to uh, smoothly and discreetly transition from this to the next, it it seems like a lot of those surprises were not only to build on the mystery, but also to misdirect and fuel fan speculation. Which I sometimes wonder, and I know watching some some of the interviews and stuff with the people involved, some of that was on purpose, some of that was not on purpose. And that's another thing when you're re-watching that I, I, I like to pick out and go, okay, was that on purpose or did they just think that was a cool thing to do? Interesting to think about, and some of the stuff we do know what they did on purpose, some of the stuff we don't know, and I just like that they're willing to play. They are willing to play, and maybe that's another thing that I think I do this a lot more than you do. I mean, I didn't do this to try to spoil it or anything like that. I read a lot of—after the, all the episodes were out, I wasn't trying to cheat and figure out what was going on. And to their credit, the showrunners and the stars and stuff, they teased a few things, but for the most part, they didn't give anything away. After all of the episodes dropped, there was a ton of interviews, and I watched a lot of those, and they explained, it's like, oh, yeah— 
oh, there were some things that people were running with. And we were like, oh, we were not trying to do that at all. Right. We're going to talk about Pietro, but way too much was made about that. And then listening to what they said they were or were not trying to do. I don't really see a lot of point in like going back to those episodes and say, well, maybe it could have been this. Well, it didn't happen that way for one. And two, maybe Kevin Feige is making them lie. But what's a lot of point in, I understand speculation week to week before we've hit the end of the first watch of the series. But after the first watch, the runaway speculation of it could be this or it could be that, that tiny little detail could be this. I don't really see the point of that after the first watch. Well, and I think, especially the Pietro part of it, uh, the director had actually said that they wanted to kind of play with that to open the door, similar to the way that Iron Man was like, hey, we got Mandalorian. Oh, wait, that's not really Earn Mandalorian. God damn it. <laughs> yes, the Mandalorian. Hey, you know what makes sense? <laughs> if the Mandalorian was in Iron Man. That would be awesome. He has a jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> I think you meant the Mandarin. Yes, I meant the Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the way there's like, hey, we got the Mandarin. Oh, wait, that's not really the Mandarin. But now we are going to get the Mandarin later on. So I, I like that they're, again, they're willing to play with it. They're just opening the door, maybe dipping their toes in to see what the fan response is, whether or not they actually want to do it or not. But I guess, Jim, what what do you think about the fan speculation in general? I mean, you really dove into it. I got bombarded with some of it. I didn't actively look for it. I want to come back to that in a bit because I want to actually cast the fan speculation as a villain. So I want to come back. And also the Pietro. I have a lot more. And there are other things that people were speculating about. But I want to come back to Pietro and just do it all at once instead of jumping around. So there are other things too, like the whole like Agatha reveal, right? Almost from like the first second, the very first second that Catherine Hahn appears on the screen in episode one, I'm like, that's Egg and the Harkness. Now, it could have turned out differently, and she could not have been, but I wasn't terribly surprised by that reveal. But I don't really see a lot of value in going back and trying to figure out, it's like, oh, because like one of the things that wasn't clear was, how long was Agatha there before things started? Like, she shows up pretty early, but... Was there a gap of time between when the broadcast internally started for when she arrived? We know she was messing with Wanda through Pietro. Was she doing other stuff? Who knows? I don't know if there's a lot of value in dissecting the episodes for that either. Well, how how long was the the hex there before the episode started airing? Again, like I said, that's a question, but I don't really see a lot of value in diving into that, though, because what does it really add? Right. I, I don't disagree with you. It's just... Those are kind of the fun things to think about. And other than, again, Agatha controlled Pietro. Was she messing with other things? Maybe, but who cares? Yeah, I don't know. That, that's fun stuff to think about, but ultimately it doesn't change anything. Right. I mean, it was fun to think about on the first watch, especially week to week. But that's what I mean. I say I, I'm skipping a bunch of episodes because it's like I don't really see any value in dissecting what happened when. And there were some cool... Um, misdirections. I'll even give a hat tip. I was like, I thought from episode one, Agnes was Agatha. And in episode six, they did one last fake out where I was like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Because they did have Agnes pretend like she was just a regular member of the town. I was like, oh, maybe I was getting ahead of myself and I was wrong. And then in the next, next episode, we find out that she was. Ooh, 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 teacher, teacher. I got a question. I got a question. Okay. How did you know... 
who Agatha Harkness is. Just because of a comic book slash animation nerddom type of thing. I mean, again, Wanda being the Scarlet Witch and in the comics, Agatha Harkness was a teacher for her. Right, but how did you know that? Because you don't read the books. I guess the internet? (laughs) Yeah, in fairness, most of my comic, almost all of my comic book knowledge comes from animation or the internet. Yeah. I haven't read a lot of books. I definitely didn't read those books. The reason I'm asking that is because I didn't even know who she was. I hadn't read those books, so I didn't know who she was. So, when, like, right away when you were saying that, I'm like, I don't even know who that is. Who is that? Like, I'd heard the name, but I didn't really know who it was, so I had to go look it up. So you had me doubting my nerd cred because I hadn't, I, like I said, I hadn't read that. And I know when it was announced that they were doing this and they kind of said it was kind of based on House of M., and I know a lot of people started researching and going into a lot of speculation and everything of based off House of M. Whereas, just like every other time they make announcements like that, I'm stepping back going, wait, 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 wait. They're just saying influenced by. They're not saying based on. It doesn't mean they're doing that story. They're just taking elements of that story and writing a new one. And that's where I think the comic book nerds go crazier than I... Again, I know the House of M story... From reading, from researching it on the internet, not from reading the books. Yeah. My more grounded perspective was like, they can't literally be doing the House of M because there are not mutants in the MCU yet, as far as we know. Right. So the actual literal story of the House of M can't be told without mutants because the M in the House of M is Magneto. So they couldn't have been doing that. They also didn't necessarily have to be doing, and they didn't do Agatha Harkness exactly as she is in the comic books either. Well, they haven't done any of the comics characters really that way. Exactly. But to say none of the characters have been done exactly the way they have been in the comics, which is also one another thing that the nerds get into fits over. is like, oh, in the comic books, it's like that. It's like they've never done any of the MCU characters exactly like they're done in the comic. But the thing about, again... It wasn't a cheat, but it's just like, from animation, I know that Wanda Maximoff is the Scarlet Witch. And the other thing that we heard when we heard that WandaVision was coming out as a TV series was that she was going to be in the Doctor Strange movie. So the really simple mental calculus of Doctor Strange is where the magic happens in the MCU. They must finally be going to establish that Wanda's powers come from magic, make her the Scarlet Witch... And then I was just like, I wonder what stories the Scarlet Witch has been involved in in the comics. And then that's where I came across Agatha Harkness and the House of M. Okay. And that's where I was like, well, if Catherine Hahn is... And, and again, I also am a big fan of Catherine Hahn. So I also did the simple of, well, if they brought in an actor that I know who it is, then she's probably playing someone important. Who could that be? <laughs> well, that sounds highly logical. Exactly. So I just guessed that she was Agatha. That's fair. Which is why it wasn't uh, a huge surprise reveal to get that. And then the other surprises, maybe when we'll get more into the, the character journeys to talk about where things went. But so before we go into like go into that, again, we can bounce around. It's okay. But what what were some of your, your favorite moments from the episodes or from, from the story? You know, I try to think it through and... I struggle. Whenever people ask, like, hey, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? I don't like picking favorites because it depends on the day. It depends on my mood. 
So I, I don't know. I, I think some of the parts that, that really jumped out at me the most where I was just like made, made me like little kid gleeful probably would have been like the costume reveals in the Halloween episode where everybody was in their actual comic book character costumes. Yes. I also, I really liked the big witch fight uh, where, you know, she was missing on purpose to make the runes around the hex. I, I thought the way they did that was, was awesome. Yes. And that's part of one of my rewatchable episodes. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. But, but otherwise, I mean, I don't know, man, it, it, it's hard to pick favorites. It, it really varies. Okay. Some of the things that stood out for me is there was a lot of great emotional depth to the series. Mm -hmm. Again, a lot of it was filtered through, and understandably so, filtered through the lead characters, Wanda especially, but also Vision. One of the most quoted lines from the series actually comes from episode eight when we actually get, while well, Agatha is taking Wanda through a vision quest of sorts to revisit some actual reruns, as she calls them, some memories of Wanda's actual life. We see a scene back at the Avengers compound that wasn't in any of the movies, which not only helped to establish why the whole sitcom thing was happening, because it was basically Wanda's escape mechanism when she needed to cheer herself up or get away from the real world sitcoms helped make her happier mm -hmm. but in that scene trying to explain it's set after the age of ultron when her brother pietro has just died so she feels very alone and very sad and overcome by grief and that's when vision says you know what is grief if not love persevering trying to cheer her up and say it's not all bad you can't just all can be be consumed entirely by sadness right you know, the reason that you're sad is because you loved your brother, and that's still carrying on after his death. Right, and, and appreciate that you had love and still maintain love. Yeah, like, because Vision, it says, like, I can't, I can't directly relate because I've never had a loved one, so I've never lost a loved one, so I've always been alone. So, But for my logical interpretation of emotion, meaning Vision, he's like, how else could you define grief other than love persevering? And then even in that scene... Even the camera pans back, and even Agatha has to wipe a tear from her eye because yeah. of like how emotional that scene is. Bad guys aren't supposed to have feelings. <laughs> so that was a very hard-hitting emotional moment. And, and even in that same episode, they also showed what happened next in the memory. Or not next, but the next one of the next memories that they filter through is earlier in the show, we got a lie about Wanda stealing Vision's body which is one of the mysteries that we'll come back to in a minute. But we saw what really happened when Wanda went to S.W.O.R.D. to see Vision, Vision's body. She basically did a, a play on what we had seen them do in Infinity War when she would hold up her hand to the Mind Stone in Vision's forehead and say, I only feel you. And she goes to see his body in Episode 8, and she puts his, her hand over his forehead and said, I can't feel you. I can't feel you. And she starts to cry. So it was one of those things that was one of the outstanding questions even coming into the series. Is Vision dead? Because we saw him, quote unquote, die in Infinity War. And he wasn't in Endgame. So that was sort of a, a, a recognition that for, for all intents and purposes, the Vision that Wanda loved was dead. Right. So that was another emotional moment that was also delivered on the moment in episode eight where we see the explosion of her trauma and grief that releases the energy that creates the hex. Right. Feeling one of the big mysteries of the of the series up to that point is like, how did the hex actually get created? 
And is Vision real or did she create him too? And in the series, we, we do find out by getting it screamed at us repeatedly that Vision is in fact dead, 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 dead. Yes, Agatha screams that at Vision at the end of episode six, which is also one of the clues that we were getting throughout it, because not only does she scream that, but she also says, oh, you must be able to help us because you're an Avenger. And Vision's like, what's an Avenger? Right. So that was one early clue. It's like, how come he doesn't remember what an Avenger is? What, but again, at that point, you'd be like, maybe he just lost his memories. Didn't necessarily mean that he wasn't real. Right. But it's like, that's weird. <laughs> and then we had a jump scare, like earlier in like episode four, actually. It was a jump scare of her seeing Vision dead with a hole in his head. Right. Whether or not that was Agatha messing with her, or she just temporarily lost control of, of the hex, we don't know. But it was still a, ah, he's dead. So yeah, that whole concept and being one of the major drivers or the last nail in the coffin of this is just too much for me to deal with, meaning Wanda, and that's the explosion of her grief. Because Agatha had even said in that memory, is like, what, what did you do when you didn't have vision around to pull you back from the darkness? Right. And then we see what happened is she just exploded and created the hex. Yeah. One other part that I actually did really like, I love the way they did it, is they took the old, how do you defeat an, an android? You defeat it by giving it some sort of illogical something that makes it destroy itself. And I like how they kind of did that with the ship of Theseus, but instead of destroying itself, he just takes off. Yeah, the, the android killing itself, well, it's been done in other things, but it's a classic Star Trek episode. Yeah. Captain Kirk defeats an, an evil android by getting it to recognize that it should basically destroy itself because it's evil. Yeah, and Star Trek's stupid, so I take it from other things. <laughs> the ship of Theseus is one of my favorite aspects of the show on several levels. The show for me is largely about a journey of self-discovery, especially for the two title characters, Wanda and Vision. And we'll come back to Wanda in a minute. But again, the outstanding question around Vision is, is he alive? Did he die in Infinity War? Because one of the things that they were trying to do in Infinity War was to buy time for Suri in Wakanda to remove the Mind Stone from Vision before Thanos would come and rip it out of his head. And there was that debate of, well, if we do remove the Mind Stone, is Vision still Vision? And Suri thought that she could still retain who he was and remove the Mind Stone at the same time. And then they were forced to give up on that plan because of the attack by Thanos. And then we also saw a reference to, and this was one of those other like quick story elements that happened in Episode 7 that they also refer back to in Episode 8 in the opening. And we, and we only see the tail end of a conversation between Darcy and Vision recapping those elements where it's like we're we're because again vision doesn't remember because he doesn't have memories we'll find out why later it's like oh so wanda killed me so it's like yeah she killed you to try to save the universe but then the bad guy undid it and then killed you anyway in front of her when the mind stone was ripped out of his head but then it's like okay so is vision dead without the mind stone yeah so now in this in the ship of theseus argument here is well how much of any person biological or artificial, how many parts can you take away before that person no longer is that person? And if you take away those parts and put them somewhere else, are they collectively still that person? 
Exactly. And part of it, you could, I mean, in terms of like a living person, like even if you lose your arm, like the Winter Soldier did, he's still Bucky. He just needs a replacement arm. <laughs> but is his arm also Bucky? Exactly. It's easier, easier, more direct with vision because he's not biological. He's already an artificial yeah. life form. So, but the idea of memory and how much memory is part of your identity. And I was just going to say, I really like the conclusion of that where the hex vision basically goes, the memories are still there. They're just being blocked. If you'll allow me, I will release those memories to you so that you can reaccess them again. Which then still brings up the question is, does that make him vision? The thing that, that came to mind for me is our recent episode on Wolverine. One of the things that we talked about that is that Wolverine had lost a lot of his memories. So he has sometimes struggles with self-doubt over not knowing who he is because he can't remember some of his past or people show up and they're mad at him about something that happened in the past that he doesn't even remember. Yeah. So how much is Wolverine Wolverine despite having lost those memories? And if he recovered those memories, would that change who he is as a person? Well, that's interesting you bring that up, bring up Wolverine in this, because actually in the House of M... He was the one that, like, when she rewrote reality, his mind and memory had been messed with so much it didn't affect him. So he was the one that's like, wait, wait, this isn't right. How do we fix this? So kind of interesting you bring up Wolverine there. So back to the ship of Theseus. One of the things I really loved about this sequence was it turned into a nerd fight. So we had this, like, big fight fight where Vision, Hex Vision, and White Vision... They don't call him White Vision, but he's all in white, so I, I call him White Vision. Are basically fighting to a stalemate because they're basically, they have the same powers. Right. And then in the middle of that, Hex Vision is like, why are you trying to destroy me? And White Vision is like, because I have a directive to destroy the Vision. And that's where it's like, well, I'm not the Vision. I'm a conditional Vision. And then in the middle of the fight, he just stops and it's like, I request elaboration. <laughs> and then it is basically talk it out at that point in his head. And then it's just sort of like, are you familiar with the, the ship of Theseus in identity metaphysics? And he's like, well, certainly. Like, he's insulted. It's like, of course I know that. So we become like a nerd fight <laughs> uh, over philosophical concepts. And then by talking out philosophical concepts, it's like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't be fighting you. We shouldn't be fighting each other. Are we both? And then, it's, and then he even had the argument of like, well... I don't have any of the memories, so I can't be Vision, but you, White Vision saying Hex Vision, you think you're the Vision, so maybe you're the Vision. And then even Hex Vision says, I thought that until I met you. Until it was made obvious to me that I'm not real, or at least I'm not the physical Vision. He still has to ask Wanda later, what am I? How did this even happen? But Vision's like, once I met... Hex Vision's like, once I met you, I knew I wasn't you. I, w I knew I wasn't the Vision. Yeah. And then, like you said, he's like, well... And then White Vision's like, well, I don't have the memories. And then Hex Vision unlocks them. And then that gives him sort of a, a better... It also unlocks White Vision, in a sense, from the control of the program. That we'll get to in a second. But makes him a little bit more complete. And then he just flies... He says, I am Vision, and flies away. Which we can come back to later. But it was an interesting way to resolve that again, especially the whole the journey of self-discovery of where does Vision go forward in, in the MCU? Because we thought he was dead in Infinity War. Now we know a version of Vision could be in the future, but it won't be. We, we can come back to that. 
But the entire ship is easiest thing was one of my favorite parts of the entire show. Yeah, so so you're telling me that conflict can be resolved through rational conversation and logic instead of violence? It can be if you've dis- if you've tried really really hard to use violence and it's not working. Oh, okay, violence first, then logic and reasoning. Gotcha. Okay. Because they did they tried a lot of violence first. That makes sense. That makes more sense. Was it like White Vision just showed up and challenged Hex Vision to a chess match or something? Who would ever watch a television series about chess? <laughs> I know, huh? That would never work. Queen's Gambit. But so it's not like White Vision, it was an immediate nerd fight from the beginning. It arguably also brought some much needed action to the series because when they show up, we get some classic MCU fight stuff happening. Yeah. I mean, Wanda and Agatha get into it too, but it's more of a magic fight. It's just like a drop-down, drag-out fight between Hex Vision and White Vision. Yeah, I mean, there was the hint of almost a fight when we almost saw Wanda versus Vision in, what was it, episode four? I think it would have been five, actually. When when Vision starts to, to question the nature of the sitcom reality and yeah. if Wanda is in control of it, they basically have this sort of face-off where it looks like they're going to fight. Round one. But it's also that other lingering question that happened throughout. Sometimes it appeared that Wanda was able to just stop him and make him do whatever she wanted. But he was somehow fighting back against that. Again, a lot is left open to interpretation and not a lot of value is found, I think, in driving into when was Hex Vision acting of his own agency versus when was he just completely being controlled by Wanda. Right. But yeah, there was that episode five and six where Vision's like, yeah, something's not right here. And he tries to find a way out of the Hex and it leads to his almost his destruction, and then Wanda has to expand the Hex, which again, at that point, we were confused as an audience because we had been told that Vision's body had been stolen, so we were confused as, why can't Vision leave the Hex? Yeah, Th- that's what they did brilliantly, is they just laid groundwork and let you guess, and I mean, they answer most of the questions, but they also kind of leave it up for interpretation, which again goes back to why I feel like it's rewatchable. It doesn't do anything to try to dive into it. You're not going to find any kind of conclusion or solution, but it is fun to think about. It is fun to think about. I, I guess for me, I just had to, at a certain point, draw a line. Because, I mean, yeah, some of the characters, like Vision, we're, we're going to see him again. And, I, I, again, we're going to come back to Pietro later. It's like, we're going to, stuff's going to happen in the future. We're going to have to wait a couple of years, but it's not like it's, not like it's done. And, and that's the other thing, I guess, that, that also factors into it for me. It's like, it's going to be at least a year before we see Wanda again in the next in the Doc, Doctor Strange movie. We don't know when, but eventually we'll see Vision again. It's like, so it's going to be a while. So what's the point of... It's, again, to your point, you could watch it purely for entertainment. Nothing wrong with that. My mind on rewatches is not focused on entertainment. My mind drifts into speculation. So I have to draw the line and just don't do it because there's really no point in speculating at this point because it's going to be years before we find out if any of our speculations were anywhere near what actually ends up happening. You're not wrong, sir. So the other last favorite thing for me on that same theme of self-discovery, the idea that, that Wanda... And again, even the audience, like the general audience, 
no comic book or animation knowledge or even just doing a few internet searches, if all you were as a general audience member watching MCU movies, you would be as adamant as Wanda's character is in the series. It's like, I'm not a witch. I don't use magic. So the whole idea that Wanda is like, what are you talking about, Agatha? I'm not a witch. I don't use magic. That whole idea, again, of Agatha basically revealing to Wanda and also giving us, the audience, if, again, if you're just the MCU movie general audience, we never really got much in the Winter Soldier or Ultron movies of an explanation of how exactly did Wanda and Pietro get their powers. They were in some type of quote-unquote Hydra experiments, but beyond that... (laughs) We were never really told anything. So you're telling me that it was a good thing that Agatha told Scarlet Witch who she is. No. My point is, we didn't know. And it's one of those interesting things. Again, at a certain point in the phases of the MCU, there were just so many characters and so many storylines that we needed to wait until some other things were cleared away. Like now, like like with the with this series, some of the characters that were more not primary, now that we're past Tony Stark and Steve Rogers and some of the other characters, now characters like Wanda can start to shift closer to the center and we can spend more attention on them. We've been a lot we know a lot about Cap and Iron Man and Hulk and all the and Thor and all that other stuff. Now some of the other characters that have been in the MC movies movies can be focused on a bit more. So we only got a little bit as an audience, and the character themselves never really thought much about it. So now Wanda, as a character, is being forced to focus on it, and the audience is also being forced to to think a little bit more about who is this person and where did her powers come from, and, and why is she going to be, how is she going to be positioned as a character going forward in the MCU? But even at the story level, it's interesting. It's like Agatha's like, yo, your power comes from chaos magic that makes you the Scarlet Witch. There's this prophecy about how the Scarlet Witch is going to destroy the world. You know, this is who you are and this is everything. And that's when, at one point in the big battle in episode nine, Wanda says to Agatha, I don't need you to tell me who I am. The whole idea is like, yes, Wanda has just had a revelation that she's a witch, that her powers actually come from magic. She did not know that. And at the end of the series, she's like, I don't understand this power, but I will. Because even as Agatha says, your problem isn't power, it's knowledge. So now we have more knowledge about Wanda. Wanda has more knowledge about Wanda, but she needs more and her journey is going to continue. But that idea of who gets to tell you who you are, who gets to tell Vision who Vision is, who gets to tell Wanda who Wanda is. For me, that's like the core story aspect of WandaVision. Yeah. I also really like the nod there of when she says, I don't know about my power, but I will. Just kind of shows the confidence and determination that Scarlet Witch has. That she knows she will figure it out. And we will see that in the next episode of MCU. But it also, I mean, because again, they're setting us up for, we'll get back to that later in terms of what the future is going. But yeah, so that, that for me were some of the big things. So let's, let's, but we bounced around and touched on a couple of them already, but let's go run through some of the other character perspectives. One of the ones I had pulled aside as a separate thing was the villains. 
Because one of the things for me, like one of the ongoing, it wasn't the only thing, but one of the major things in the area of fan speculation that was happening week to week was, who's the bad guy? Who's the bad guy going to be? Who's the villain? Is it going to be Mephisto? Is it going to be Nightmare? Is it going to be something else? And like the showrunner and head writer afterwards, she wasn't saying this while people were watching week to week. She was like, um, Grief was the bad guy? <laughs> Why did there need to be a big bad guy? It's like, um, the story was pretty clear that Grief was the bad guy. But the thing that I found funny, just collecting my notes, is that all of the villains, essentially, were hiding in plain sight. Well, all of this time with people like, who's the villain? Who's the villain? Yeah. And, and again, this I, I kind of have them listed like in order of, I don't know, importance or something like that. Director Hayward. Yeah. He gradually morphs into a villain. We basically meet him in episode four. Seems like Mummy B is just a bureaucratic asshole. But he's also the one who basically makes Wanda the villain. It's like, oh, Wanda's a terrorist. She needs to be taken off the board. She stole Vision's body. She's torturing the people in Westview. We need to take her out. And he tries to kill her and her children with a missile. And then later... At the end of the series, he actually tries to shoot her kids. And at one point, like in the, in the finale, he's even talking to Jimmy Woo. It's like, you know what? If I pull this off, I'm the hero. If, I, if Wanda gets killed and the only vision that emerges from the hex is the vision that I sent in, then hey, I did a great job and I rescued an important piece of technology that Wanda tried to steal. But if it doesn't work, then he's the villain and he gets arrested and he goes to prison, which is what will end up happening. Yeah. But he's also a stand-in for maybe part of the effects of the Sokovian Accords and the effects of the SNAP. There's a strong anti-superpower people sentiment in the MCU. And we see in episodes four and five, he very much doesn't like superpowered people. Like when Jimmy Woo's doing like the security briefing, he's like, oh, Wanda, does she have a snappy nickname? which is also an in-joke because she gets one later. But he clearly, and even when he's talking to like Monica Rambeau, you, you clearly understand he doesn't like Captain Marvel either. And he's not necessarily wrong either. It's like, we need something to stop the superpowered people by any means necessary. There's a lot of that. And I think they're pulling a lot from the Superhero Registration Act storylines and also mutant storylines. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap between Mutant Registration Act and the Sokovian Accords. And Superhero Registration Act. And Superhero Registration. So, yeah. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things where, like with most villains, they don't see themselves as the villain. Yeah. Director Hayward thinks he's doing the right thing. That he's willing to do what is necessary to stop the threat. I agree with you. I, I'm going to let you continue with your thoughts on the, the villains of the story before I give my input. Okay. So the next most obvious villain is Agnes, who, until she's revealed at the end of Episode 7 as Agatha Harkness, you probably don't really think of her as a villain <laughs> until she's revealed as Agatha Harkness and then directly confronts Wanda and basically becomes a primary villain because she wants to steal Wanda's magic because that's her whole thing. So we see like her abbreviated, slightly different from the comics, but abbreviated origin story for Agatha Harkness at the beginning of episode eight. And then basically from that point in episodes eight and nine, she's trying to kill Wanda and take her power from her. 
So she becomes the primary villain. But even then, even after episode eight, people were like, oh, she must be working for somebody. It can't just be Agatha. Maybe she's reporting to Mephisto or something like that. But again, she was also hiding in plain sight, although again, not revealed as Agatha until at the end of episode seven. Although even as Agnes, she did some questionable things, but not nefarious. It's like, why is she acting a certain way for that? But then she becomes the primary opponent for Wanda and the, the magic fight that we see. Because even just to back up to director Haywood, the reason I didn't put white vision on this list is basically white vision is director Haywood's fault. He reassembled vision at his direction. They wrote the cataract program to replace his AI and they powered him up. And, and he's the one who authorized the uh, go kill Wanda and uh, whatever the heck that other vision is, eliminate him too. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't list white vision as a separate villain. But Agatha is a villain that's trying to steal the magic from Wanda. I think here's a good time for me to jump in. Okay. Here's my thought. There's bad people, there's bad intentions, and or bad thoughts throughout this series. But really, this series is just a story. What bothers me is why do we always think that stories have to have one big villain to go against our one big hero in order to be a good story? Why can't it all be gray? And I think that's what this series actually did wonderfully is it made it all gray. For instance, yeah, Agatha is probably the big villain to most of us in this story. But again, she's trying to take power away from somebody that doesn't know how to control it. Right? Yeah, she says she takes power from the undeserving. Right. And she seems very concerned at the end that Wanda fully becomes the Scarlet Witch saying you don't realize what you have unleashed. But it's unclear how would that power have been safer in Agatha's hands? Because she understood it. And then she would use it wisely? (laughs) The thing is, she wanted to stop her from becoming the Scarlet Witch because the Scarlet Witch is supposed to destroy the universe. Ah, so I guess she would basically not destroy the universe. Right, because she she understands how to use the chaos magic without becoming the Scarlet Witch. Okay. Is kind of my thought on that anyways. And and really, she's she's only really the villain because she opposes the quote-unquote hero. Although, as we're about to talk about, the quote-unquote hero is also kind of a villain. Yeah, because you could say, like, because Agatha Harkness, when she shows up, she was confused at first because she saw the afterglow of so many spells cast all at once. So she just came to investigate. Mm-hmm. And then after she figured out who Wanda was, she's like, oh... I need to take this power away from you because it's too dangerous to be left with someone who doesn't understand it. Right. That's an interpretation of it. I mean, she's looking at it going, this is a lot of power that's being unleashed that by somebody that doesn't even know how they're doing it. And that's another thing in magic is, in a lot of that stuff is, you're always giving a little bit in order to take. So she doesn't understand the repercussions of what she's doing. She doesn't. And again, this is drifting a little bit into what I said don't speculate, but this is not really speculation because this is straight up said, but I'm adding to it. In in the origin story for Agatha, she's dragged before her coven and she's basically accused of using magic above her station, using magic that she doesn't understand and using it for evil. And she says, well, then teach me, teach me how to use it. If the magic that I'm using is, is wrong, then teach me the right way to use it. And her coven's like, no, we're just going to kill you. And then at the end, when she begs her mother, it's just like, I can be good. Her mother's like, no, you can't. So the whole question of maybe Agatha was lying 
or maybe she was actually being sincere. It's like, if there is a line between good and evil, and you're telling me that there's an evil way and a good way to use magic, why not teach me the good way instead of just killing me because you think I'm going to use it for evil? Right, and it, it plays into why I feel like Marvel is superior over DC, generally speaking, is because the villains in Marvel are so much more interesting because they don't see themselves as villains. They don't see themselves as doing the wrong thing. They're human-ish personalities with complexity. And you don't get that as much in DC. Yeah, again, I mean, I don't want to go off on this tangent, but Thanos wasn't wrong. Is a rabbit hole we don't want to go down. But again, like I said, the Marvel villains are not caricatures of bad guys doing bad things just because they're bad. Right. And Agatha definitely is probably the... She's still gray, but maybe the least gray of it. Again, even like I said with director Hayward, he just went too far, but he wasn't just be twirling his mustache as the evil director of S.W.O.R.D. He thought he was actually doing the right thing. Right. And even the stuff that Agatha was saying, you know, that makes her the villain of she was messing with Wanda this whole time and making everything go wrong. But she even says she was doing those things in order to try to figure out how Wanda was doing what she was doing. She wasn't doing it to cause problems, just to cause problems. She was doing it to figure everything out and understand what was happening. Exactly. Which feeds into, again, like you were already starting to go there, is the the hero-villain line is probably most gray with Wanda herself. Mm -hmm. Because... Throughout the show, and especially just in direct exposition in the finale, the townspeople of Westview don't view Wanda as a hero. <laughs> Definitely not. Which is also interesting, too, was because, like, Monica, when she gets kicked out and Director Hayward says, oh, we're going to brand Wanda a terrorist, and Monica's like, I disagree— and he was like, well, from your own report, it's like your mind was taken over. It was an, an invasion and you were, were powerless. It's like, you, and you even said you felt terrorized. That's a bad guy. That's a terrorist. And Monica was more, I guess, maybe willing to forgive. She's like, she's just in pain. She's experiencing tremendous grief from loss. And, and Monica's like, I, I mean, as Monica says at the end to Wanda, it's like, if I had your power, I would bring your, my mom back. Mm -hmm. Because Monica's mom died during the blip while Monica was away. So it's like, I understand the attraction of if you had that power, that you would want to use it. So she's not blaming Wanda. She's not forgiving what Wanda did, but she's not blaming Wanda as much. Right. But the townspeople are like, yeah, you're like separating us from our children. When you let us dream, we have your nightmares. And then at one point at the end, one of them even says, it's like, if you won't let us go, at least let us die. Right. So they were suffering so much. It's just like, we would rather be dead if you won't let us go. And even Wanda really struggles at various times with being able to be comfortable with that. Like she tries to rationalize that the sitcom reality is, is as safe and peaceful for everybody else as it is for her. Because even in one time when she's watching in the flashback with Vision, when Vision's like, is it funny because that guy suffered grievous injury? And Wanda's like, no, it's not that type of show. Mm -hmm. And she even tries to tell the townspeople, I'm keeping you safe. You're at peace. This is good for you, just like it's good for me. 
But there's also an earlier part where, where Monica tells Wanda's like, don't let director Haywood make you the villain. And Wanda's like, maybe I already am. So she even herself is struggling with, am I the good guy or the bad guy? And then she's getting taunted by Agatha. It's like, heroes don't torture people. Right. But then Wanda's like, well, am I really torturing people? So, I mean, and again, it's not clear cut. You could look at it from either direction. Yeah. And I, I think people might be reading a little bit too much into that line, too, of maybe I already am. Because also when the townspeople are like, you know, you were torturing us. It was terrible. We could feel the pain. It was it was bad. She didn't believe them. Yeah, like I said, she was in denial in terms of, oh, you're interpreting things in like the most... Right. This is not what she said, but just like, it's like you're taking the most negative interpretation of what I'm doing. Yeah, she, she was basically saying like, no, you're, you're, you're being safe. Everything's fine. You don't realize what's going on. They're like, no, we hurt. And then when she found out that they were really hurting and how badly they were really hurt, hurting, she tried to stop it. Again, it, it's gray. We don't really fully know what she understood and what she didn't understand. Because remember... Again, going back to what the conflict with Agatha of she didn't even know how she did it. She knew she was doing something, but she didn't really fully understand what she was doing or how she was doing it. Plus, there was this weird exchange with Agatha. Agatha was like, oh, just give me your power and I'll fix the problems in your spell. And you and your family and the people of Westview can live in peace. Which was sort of like the idea that, well, if Wanda actually figured out how to use her power better, maybe she actually could have created a sitcom reality where everyone would have been happy. Right, exactly. One of the characters was even trying to negotiate with Wanda. It's like, maybe my daughter can be your son's friend. Or maybe the school bully, if you like that storyline better. We'll work with you. So maybe they could have found some way to negotiate a, a less repressive, for lack of a better term, way that maybe they would have been happier. Because there's also a part, well, again, it's open to interpretation, that part, like in episode eight, where Wanda first arrives in Westview to see the empty lot that Vision had bought for them to buy a house, the people of Westview don't look very happy. Right. They're not li living a, a, a grand lifestyle. Like the guy who's made into a mailman and a UPS delivery driver, he was a pizza delivery guy. They weren't like, rich, happy people. So maybe she could have found a way to make it work for everybody. And, and that also kind of brings into a question too about, you know, the lines of like, hey, maybe we could do this or maybe we could do that with the storyline or the couple of times where they're like, oh, do you want me to do that part again? You know, do you want me to change the character a little bit? Goes into my big question that we never get answered that I think is fun to think about is were the townspeople cast as actors by Wanda or as the character? Yeah, because it's unclear. I mean, because she changed people's names. She changed occupations. She mostly kept families together, like husbands and wives were still married to each other and children still lived in the house. And they, and they seemed to be aware of what was happening to a certain extent in terms of like, again, some of the characters like, oh, do you want me to do it differently? Right. There was some level of awareness of, oh, that's not what you want. I can try again. Just tell me what you want. But yeah, on what level were... Like in, in the finale, one of the characters, one of the townspeople was like, in the beginning, I was trying to fight you. Then I just stopped. And I don't know why. Can you tell me? So maybe at a certain point, they also just gave up. Mm -hmm. But also, yeah, it's not really clear. 
But again, it goes back to Wanda didn't know what she was doing. Right. So it was just sort of a, a reckless use of magic. So who knows if they were cast as characters or cast as actors to play characters and how much were they really that aware of what was going on? Or was only when either Vision or Agatha snapped them out of the effect of the hex that they were able to verbalize some requests for changes? Right. But when they were under the influence of the hex, how much awareness did they have other than the fact that they were in pain? Yeah. Which kind of goes into what creates a villain. Is it causing pain and anguish or is it malicious intent? And that's one of the things that that Wanda even says in the finale to Agatha. And she says, the difference between you and I is you're doing this on purpose. Meaning Wanda saying that to Agatha. So Wanda's like, yeah, maybe she's coming to the realization that what she did was wrong, but it wasn't malicious intent. It was an accidental byproduct of her grief. I mean, that makes it better because it wasn't malicious intent, but does that absolve her? It doesn't take away the guilt. It just, without the intent, it makes it more forgivable. Yes. But it doesn't take away the guilt of what she did. I would agree. And that's where, again, going back to the way that the showrunner and head writer described it, is that the big bad that everybody was looking for was it was actually Wanda's grief that really was the catalyst for everything that happened. So it's Wanda's grief, but that doesn't necessarily make Wanda a villain. But some of the things that she did could pull her in that direction. Right. The other thing I wanted to toss in here, and it's kind of a weird place to put this, but I put fan speculation down as a villain. We've talked about speculation before, and at one point you had said that speculation is fine unless it turns into expectation because then it can turn into disappointment. Right. Once you let your speculation say, well, I'm, I'm speculating that this might happen. Oh, I expect this to happen. And then when that doesn't happen, you're disappointed. And I think that's where a lot of the, albeit minor, most of the, the response to WandaVision has been largely positive. The negative stuff that I've seen is when people cross that line and made their speculation expectation, and then that's what they're mad about. Right. Overall, the speculation for this just really annoyed me. I liked the mystery and the misdirection. I thought it was fun, and I know speculation in general is part of the fun, and that's why going week to week is beneficial, because then you get to talk about it, you get to think about it. But I think the combination of social media and the fandom speculation just took all that fun and brought it to a realm similar to politics where... It was, I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. This is how it is. There's no other way about it. This is what it's going to be. And then it just became, like you said, its own villain. Came such a fight and there was so, so much anger because of that speculation that it just, it took away the fun. Yeah. And maybe back to one of the earlier points we were talking about how you say, you know, it can be fun to, to think about some of this stuff on the rewatch. I think probably what I was referring to more about is the expectation versus speculation speculation is fun but expectation can set you up for for disappointment because it hardly ever actually turns out the way that you expect it to or again if you get uh, some people even myself included we're starting to like develop complex theories 
around Pietro, especially. Like, I didn't really jump on the Mephisto bandwagon because I never really thought that... Because Mephisto is, like, the closest thing that Marvel has to the devil, and I never really thought that that would be the direction that they would go in. I thought that if they were going to go that way, they would go more with Nightmare from the Dream Dimension than to go Mephisto. But everyone was trying to, like... Every, like, minor thing was be Oh, that, that means Mephisto. Pietro's actually Mephisto because his hair's weird. It looks like the devil is, like... Everything was Mephisto. I didn't jump on that bandwagon, but I did fall down the rabbit hole of complex theories around Pietro. And ultimately, I abandoned them for that very reason, because they became so complex. And here's where I think most people got mad. For the longest time, people want to see a way for the X-Men to be in the MCU. And when Pietro shows up, quote-unquote, Pietro shows up at the end of episode five, which is basically like just a little bit halfway through the series, that's where the speculations exploded into expectations of this is exactly how the X-Men and the mutants get into the MCU. And that's when people get all angry and yelly. For sure. What was your reaction, both when it happened and after the series was over, to quote-unquote Pietro? Uh, when it happened... I was excited and confused. Uh, I was like, well, that could be how they bring it in, or maybe that's how they, they bring in the multiverse. And then the way they ended it just confused me further for, okay, did Agatha give him the speed powers, or is that somebody, maybe that is this universe's version of Mutant Universe's Pietro isn't actually Pietro, it was Peter. So... Maybe both universes have both that have the same power. Maybe this was Peter, but with a different name, which is your dick joke that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, because that was the thing I think a lot of people, because it gets, well, again, it's unclear. It's open to interpretation. At one point in the finale, Monica is being held captive by, quote unquote, Pietro. And she tries to leave and he still has his super speed. And she picks up like a, a, a bill that has his name on it and then a, a headshot that shows that he's an actor. And she's like, your name is Ralph <laughs> Boner? And he laughs. He's like, hey, Boner. But then the thing is, there's like, was the person named Ralph Boner or was the character in the sitcom reality Ralph Boner? Yeah, because and she was always in the first episode, she's always say, saying, oh, my husband, Ralph. Right, and that's why his name was Ralph, but the hex was still up. So wouldn't that still be a hex house? We don't know if Ralph Boner was even really the person who lived in Westview's real name. Because again, if you think about it, Ralph Boner is a stupid name that a character would have in a sitcom. Yeah, and Mr. Boner's man cave was very similar to the man cave of Peter in the mutant verse. And you could see, and this was part of my complex theory, you could see Peter from the X-Men movies thinking that that would be funny if he was living under an assumed name or in witness protection or something. Because one of the theories was that maybe he was Jimmy Woo's missing witness. You could see that character from the X-Men thinking it was funny right. that his fake name would be Boner. <laughs> but again, a lot of that is this runaway speculation, but... The immediate reaction was, there were a lot of people who were pissed. It's like, we were expecting an X-Man, and instead we got a dick joke. Well, you can't make everybody happy. 
you can't make everybody happy, but I think going back to your, your Mandarin reference earlier. Mandarin or Mandalorian? Mandarin, not Mandalorian. Although now I'm thinking that, you know what, Disney, just <laughs> fuck with us. Just have the Mandalorian just show up. Just have a Mandalorian poster in the background somewhere. No, no, no. We're going to go full multiverse. Just, just fucking bring Star Wars into the MCU, too. Not going to lie. I'd watch it. <laughs> but to your Mandarin point earlier, it's like people were pissed off in Iron Man 3 when there was a... And this is also a, an interesting parallel. So there was a character called the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 that Tony Stark thinks is actually a bad guy. Because in the comics, the Mandarin is actually eh, one of the closest things to a major rival of the Iron Man in the comics. And in the movie, it turns out that it's just an actor playing the role of the Mandarin. So in this, we have a quote-unquote actor playing Pietro, maybe. But like to your point, we are actually going to get a Mandarin in the MCU. It's not going to be that guy. Right. So I think what's actually going to happen at some point, I think the multiverse is really the only way the X-Men come into the MCU because you just can't make them canon and it just gets complicated. Otherwise, yeah. I think at some point in the future, Quicksilver, Evan Peters, playing his Quicksilver character from the X-Men, is going to show up in the MCU in a movie with Wanda, and Wanda's initial reaction is going to be like, what the hell are you doing here? You're not my brother. And he's, his reaction is going to be like, what the hell are you talking about, lady? I don't have a sister. And he's like, and Wanda's going to be like, yeah, you know what? And she'll like try to throw an energy ball at him, and he'll evade it with super speed, and they'll want to be like, whoa, you're not Ralph Boner? And he'll be like, who the hell's Ralph Boner? And then she's going to be like, oh, you're not my Pietro, but you're a Pietro. And then Vision's going to show up and she's going to be like, oh, you're not my Vision, but you're a Vision. And there's going to be a scene where Peter from the X-Men universe as Quicksilver, Wanda, and the new version of Vision fight side by side in a battle. And that's going to be a callback to WandaVision. I think you have done a lot of speculation turning into uh, expectations here. Well, I'm just saying that that is, if anything happens, again, that's speculation. It could go nowhere. But I would think that if Evan Peters comes back, I could see that being a funny, a, a good thing for Marvel to do. Because that would be a funny way to bring them together Wanda's back with Pietro and Vision again. Just not the Pietro and Vision that she wanted or was with before. Could be. So yeah, that, that is speculation, not expectation. But that's as far as I will go with that. I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I mean, there are other possibilities. Yeah. That scenario allows Ralph Boner or whatever his name, whether he has speed or not have speed... He can still exist in the MC universe, but Pietro comes across from the X-Men universe through the multiverse, and it would make an interesting and funny scene. So, and again, it also goes back to the Mandarin thing. So you, you get the character, you just don't get it the way that you expected to. Right. In this particular case, they could give us the character not the way we were expecting it to, using the same actor. If they wanted to take it the next level to really make the joke kind of funny from my perspective is use the original Pietro actor from the MCU movies as the X-Men Pietro. (laughs) (laughs) Have him come from a a multiverse universe where he's the X-Men Pietro and not the X-Men Pietro from the movies. Or actually what 
they could do in order to bring him back is in when they introduce the MCU Quicksilver Pietro from another universe where maybe in that other universe Wanda died instead of Pietro. So then they can bring them together and they can be together again. Oh, boom. That'd be cool. Or they could go Crisis on Infinite Earths, have the two speedsters actually meet each other. Yeah. So we could get both or neither. That, that's my big thing in a lot of this is big complex storylines work well in epic comic events that take place over a lot of issues for months and months and months and months, sometimes years. I think one thing that fans of the MCU need to realize is that the big epic stories that work in the books won't happen in the movies or TV show for multiple reasons. First, the time it would take to write and develop those stories wouldn't end up being profitable because my second point would be those stories would be great for the comic readers, but would be mostly lost on the casual fans because they don't have all the deep backgrounds and everything. And finally, those stories already exist. There'd be no creative drive to directly adapt those comic story events into film or TV. It's already there. You want it, it's there. And yeah, it would be great to see it on TV, but there's really no payoff for it for somebody to be involved in it. So I like, I think that's where the MCU is doing a very good job of pulling inspiration from those events, but then just writing whole new stories. So fans just need to back off. Yeah, I would agree. Well, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about that's why I don't rewatch most of the episodes when I rewatch the show because it's like I don't want to go down any of those rabbit holes. Basically, I end up skipping the episodes that Pietro's even in. He's only briefly in the finale, and then I don't even bother to go down those rabbit holes because like the other point I would add to what you would say is whatever is going to happen, if anything does happen, is going to be years down the road. Yeah. There's so many other things that are going to happen before that stuff comes to pass. I mean, look look how long it took, and not just because of COVID-related delays, look how t- long it took for us to get some type of an answer about what happened to Vision. Look how long it took for us to get some type of an answer of where did Wanda and Pietro get their powers from. Again, so a lot of these things are, are long arcs. Right. And they can't fill in everything that happened from the comics because it's like you would dedicate so much more material to that. And again... Even things like the House of M. It's like to bring the X-Men into the universe just so you could do the House of M, which gets rid of mutants? Why? I, it's an interesting comic story, but why would they do that? And, like, and to your point, you already know that story. You want to read the story, read, read the comics, do something different. And, and all that being said, I, I, I still speculate. And again, that's part of the fun of it. I just don't get my hopes up. Well, that's, again, that's the line. Speculation, not expectation. I'm more thinking, wouldn't it be cool if they did this? Not, I think they're going to do this. Big difference. Big difference. And I think that that's the major thing that people are tripping up on. Because even some of the the fan theories and and wild speculation slash expectation, they're not bad ideas. No, no, not at all. And even the people that made this series were like, oh, that would have been cool if we'd have done that. We just didn't think about it. Yeah, again, I I say it all the time. Sit back, let the characters take their journeys. Let's enjoy it. Exactly. So just to to bring this round to closing off the character journeys here, the other, like, major, major minor thing that happens is Spectrum. 
or basically the Monica Rambeau story. And I, I call her Spectrum because that's the last, I think in the most recent run of the comics, that's what Monica Rambeau is known as. Yeah, she's got lots of names. Just like a lot of characters, she has lots of names. And I put Spectrum in quotes. They don't say it in the, in WandaVision. Right. All they do is they, they show that she got superpowers as an effect of, of passing through the radiation of the hex field multiple times. All this really sets us up is that she's going to be in Captain Marvel and she's going to have superpowers. Her powers have not been fully explored. We only saw one brief use of her powers in the finale, but now we can basically save 15 minutes of screen time of who's Monica Rambeau and why is she in the Captain Marvel movie and why does she have powers? So what if she became Spectrum because the multiple passes through the hex, but then all those sword agents pass through the hex once, so maybe that's how we get mutants. There you go. Anyways. I mean, people were also talking about how, I mean, because they made the reference that the hex is made out of cosmic microwave background radiation. It's like, well, that's also where the Fantastic Four got their powers from, which was also fueling some of the other fan speculation about they were expecting... Reed Richards. Reed Richards to show up as the aerospace engineer that Monica refers to. The showrunner was actually, and head writer was actually kind of pissed at that one. She's like, ah, no, the aerospace engineer I was talking about was the woman who showed up. She's like, women can be aerospace engineers. That major who showed up to bring that thing to Monica, that's who they were talking about. It doesn't mean that Reed Richards or maybe the Blue Marvel... I mean, Reed Richards is coming because they're doing a Fantastic Four movie. Right. Maybe the Blue Marvel is coming too, but the showrunner's like, we showed you the aerospace engineer. (laughs) (laughs) It just wasn't who you were expecting. Again, we knew Monica Rambeau as a character as a kid in the first Captain Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. You probably have to have closed captioning turned on to really catch all of the Captain Marvel stuff because you actually do get to hear dialogue from the Captain Marvel movie. Right. Like calling Monica Lieutenant Trouble and Nick Fury even saying, oh, if you want to go into space, your eyes have to glow like your Aunt Carol. Again, I don't think I would have even caught that stuff if I didn't have closed captioning turned on. But there was that type of stuff in the brief snippets of what was happening with her. But now we have, and and Tiona Parrish did a great job with with the character. And I'm looking forward to seeing her in the next Captain Marvel movie. Agreed. The other ones, this is more drifting into speculation before we come back to Vision and Wanda. Wicked and Speed. And I think this is also what was a source of most of the Mephisto speculation. Because in the comics, that's where Billy and Tommy, Wiccan and Speed, came from. Mephisto's soul was broken into fragments, and Wanda used some of the broken soul fragments to create Billy and Tommy. Right. So the twins were created somehow. They also went away when the hex came down. But there's this weird exchange at the end when they tuck the kids into bed and basically leave them there to basically dissolve through the hex. Wanda looks back and says, boys, thank you for choosing me to be your mom. Right. And they both smile as it's some type of acknowledgement that they're not her biological children. Right. And then at the very end, you, you get them screaming out, mom, help us. Which is also open to interpretation because... What they yell out at the end in the post credit scene 
is the exact same thing that they yell out when they were trapped in the basement with Agatha. Hmm. So was she actually hearing them call out to her from Jim's speculation, the dream dimension where there are souls without bodies calling out to her to help them somehow? Or was she just reading the Darkhold and remembering that part and thinking, oh, I just found a way I can make my kids real? Oh, that's a good point, too. We know that Wanda is coming into the Multiverse of Madness, right? Yes. So the most obvious expectation would be in Wanda trying to use the chaos magic as the Scarlet Witch to try to get her kids back, opens up some sort of rift, which then opens up the multiverse and Doctor Strange has to help to, to fix it. And maybe even stop her from destroying the universe because she opened up that rift. I think that's the most obvious storyline. Or maybe while working with Doctor Strange, they figure out a way to solve the problem of that movie by opening up a rift and Wanda just takes advantage of that and they defeat the bad guy in the movie, but she pulls her kids through and and Doctor Strange is like, what the fuck did you just do? (laughs) Something like that. I don't think that that's going to happen, though. I really don't think that we're going to see Billy and Tommy in that movie. In fact, I don't really think there's going to be much more. Wanda's going to be in the movie and play a significant role, but I, I always fall back on, it's a Doctor Strange movie. The movie's going to be mostly about Doctor Strange. Well, Captain America Civil War was a Captain America movie. Civil War is probably a bad example because it essentially was an Avengers movie. That's my point, though, is Doctor Strange 2 doesn't have to be all about Doctor Strange. It doesn't have to be, but most of the standalone movies dedicated to a character are usually standalone. Again, the Iron Man movies were Iron Man movies. Yes, Captain America Civil War stands out as a unique entity because it essentially could have just been called Avengers Civil War. Yeah. Because it, that's essentially what it was because almost all of the Avengers were in it. But Winter Soldier had a lot to do with Black Panther. Setting up a Black Panther movie. So yeah, I'm not saying it's not, but again, even in that, right, in Winter Soldier, Black Panther had a role to play. Yeah. But the movie wasn't about him. That's what I'm saying, though, is just because Wanda opens the rift doesn't mean the movie has to be about Wanda. I know, but my whole thing is, and this is, again, speculation, I'm just thinking that the whole idea that she's going to be taking actions in the Doctor Strange movie based on what happened in WandaVision, I just tend to doubt that. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. And, and, and again, this is part of the whole problem. I don't think it will move, but right now it's scheduled for May of, of 2022. So we got like a year to wait before we see what happens. And again, speculation versus expectation. If people are so excited about WandaVision that they start to expect WandaVision subplot storylines in Doctor Strange and they don't get them, Mm -hmm. then that's going to be a problem. Because one of my other theories is there's no context in that post credit scene that tells you that that happened before or after the Doctor Strange movie. Right. Maybe part of the Doctor Strange movie is him training Wanda. Because that seems to make... I recently rewatched Doctor Strange, Mm -hmm. and it would have, like, a nice symmetry to it. Because, like, in the Doctor Strange movie... I mean, Doctor Strange doesn't even believe in magic... And part of the funny stuff in that movie is the Ancient One just, like, owning him in, in several funny ways. I could see Wanda going to, was like, okay, basically my power is based on magic. Who do I know that knows magic? 
I kind of sort of know Doctor Strange. And I could see maybe some type of a training scenario similar to Doctor Strange getting to be like the Ancient One training Wanda who knows little about magic. Yeah. And then after the movie, she takes what lessons she learned, like how to astro project, for example. Because in the Doctor Strange movie, the way that Doctor Strange advances so quickly in his study of magic is not only because he has a photographic memory, but while he is sleeping, he astro projects and reads books in the library. Right. So he learns a technique to help him learn about magic, even in his downtime. And Wanda is basically sipping tea and, and relaxing while her astral projected self is reading the Darkhold. So that's why I'm kind of thinking that maybe that post credit scene is actually set after the events of Doctor Strange. Yeah, it could be. Not to dumb it down, but to make it more basic for the general audience. Because again, let's face it, there's a lot of people who don't get into the nerddom level with these movies. The, the general idea of the general audience is Doctor Strange is where the magic happens in the MCU. Why would Wanda be in the magic movie? Well, because she's the Scarlet Witch. Right. So I think that's more of setting up the why she shows up in that movie. Also, I think it's a good for, for her. Her journey is not over. She says at the end, I don't understand this power, but I will. And we also see that I mean, she was always shown as being very powerful, but now we can see her as being one of the major, most powerful characters going forward in the Avengers. And also kind of crazy. Potentially crazy. And, I, and, and going back to what we said before, maybe she does go villain. It doesn't necessarily mean that she has to stay, or again, open to interpretation. Right. I have a tendency to think that that won't be the case because she kind of started out as a villain. Right. And then became a good guy. And then went back and then flip-flopped. and walked. So I think she's going to be straight up good guy. And I guess some people's like, oh, she's going to be the villain of Doctor Strange. It's like, I, I don't think so. I think she's going to be an ally of Doctor Strange. A student and an ally of Doctor Strange. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Before it falls out of my head, the last thing on, on Wicked and Speed, I think that in some way we will see the twins again. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think we're actually going to see those kids, though. Because during the show, we saw them... In the span of one episode, they rapidly age themselves from infants to five-year-olds to 10-year-olds. And without Wanda being able to stop them. Borderline jumping into spoilers, but not really. As we were, we were recording this, the second episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier just dropped. I was about to... Are you, are you going to bring up Patriot? I wasn't going to say it by name. They're setting up Young Avengers. They're, they're slowly setting that up. That's, that's exactly where I was going. My point is, that in this series, we saw the kids rapidly age from infants to five-year-olds to ten-year-olds, showing in part that Wanda wasn't in full control. And it doesn't really make sense that Agatha was messing with her. It seemed very clear that the twins were doing that, and they had some level of self-awareness that they were weirdly real, not real. Again, that whole thank you for choosing me to be your mom thing stuff. So I think that a older version of Billy and Tommy as Wicked in Speed will eventually show up, again, several years down the road. Right. I think we're going to get a Young Avengers, because we have we know that the Hawkeye series is introducing... Kate Bishop. The new Hawkeye. Yes. The younger female version, his successor. We've seen the potential that we could see Wiccan and Speed, which is... They're, they're not called that in WandaVision. That's their comic book names. Could show up. And then 
to what you were just referring to, so I cut you off, sir. What were you going to say about, because we, like you said, at the time of this recording, two episodes of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier have aired. I was just going to say that they laid the groundwork to introduce a character that would be in Young Avengers. And we've also got Cassie Lang, which in the books becomes stature. Now there's, the again, the groundwork for possibly Hulkling in the, in the future, too. So it, it's all there. Like, the groundwork is all there. And even the groundwork to make White Vision become the uh, kind of ambassador or teacher or whatever for the Young Avengers to start training them is there, too. Yeah, because you have the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you have the Hawkeye series, Ant-Man is coming out next year sometime, and they did, I don't think it's reading too much into the fact that they did recast Cassie Lang, so they want an actress that probably is going to be around for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that we are eventually, again, years from now, at least two years. MCU plays the long game. They always play the long game. And again, I would think that based on everything we just talked about, that's why I think we're going to see Wicked and Speed again, is we're going to see the Young Avengers. They wouldn't have introduced them that way if they weren't going to use them later. Exactly, which again goes back to what I was saying earlier. That's why I really don't think you're going to see the Billy and Tommy thing come back again for a while. Maybe there's a Scarlet Witch movie after Doctor Strange and before the Young Avengers that sets up how Billy and Tommy get here, but it's going to be a while, but I think we will see them again. Yeah. Just like we've already talked about how we might see Pietro in some version or multiple versions or no versions in the future as well. That's more open to speculation, but I would be surprised if we don't get Young Avengers. Yeah. And I would be shocked if we got Young Avengers and, and Speed and Wiccan were in it. Yeah. So that brings us to the end uh, in terms of the, the final two characters, which we've already talked a lot about them throughout the episode because they are the title characters of the show. So Wanda, this is basically a Scarlet Witch origin for Wanda and a tie-in to her appearance in the Doctor Strange movie. And then again, also helps with establishing or continuing the journey for Vision of what happened to him after Avengers Infinity War and going forward. And maybe, like you said, maybe it's as a teacher to the Young Avengers or, again, he could just show up at some point in the future and it wouldn't be a surprise. I mean, it would be a shock if he is just gone, but we just don't know when he's coming back. Yeah. And it would be a shock to people that didn't watch the series. And all of a sudden, oh, who is this white vision? I really think the next time we see him, he will be colored the way he was before. I don't know. Maybe. So before we get to our metaphorical ratings, any other thoughts or things we didn't touch on? Let's go ahead and close it up. All right. You want to go first? Sure. For me, this series breaks down to being magically delicious. (laughs) I really like this series. I like how they really revolved around the magic of it. I think they thought a lot of things through so well. They left a lot of doors open, which I think some of that was on purpose. I think, again, they misdirected a lot. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes on accident. They only had so much time to work through it. Things get missed. They're just trying to tell a fun story. And they told a fun story. Success. It was great. Lots of rainbows and hearts and stars. And what was the other one? Moons? Purple horses? I didn't see any of those. I guess it depends on what brand of Lucky Charm cereal from what universe. They didn't want to take it away from Happy. Well, my metaphorical rating is Witch Re-Envisioned. 
establishing Wanda as the Scarlet Witch and that her powers are based in chaos magic, although without a complete explanation of what all that entails, there's still more for her to learn about her power and also for us to learn how that actually manifests as her character continues her journey in the MCU. And then again, giving us uh, a re-envisioning of the other beloved character, Vision, the other title character of a show. The Wanda and the Vision that emerge from the WandaVision series are not the ones that we knew before the series. And this show was a journey of self-discovery that ended with new selves discovered and still on a journey. Wanda still has more to learn to understand what it actually means to be the Scarlet Witch and use chaos magic. Vision has to go fly off and do some thinking slash computing of who or what he is now. But two beloved characters will continue, and we have set a new, a readjusted origin story and look forward to seeing where those two characters are going to be going in the future of the MCU. While we wait to see what those beloved characters do, these two unloved characters are going to continue to speculate. As long as we don't... Expectate? That's not a word. Expectate! Let's expectate! Speculate! Don't expectate! (laughs) That's a perfect ending. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at FanboyandHater. Email us at TheFanboyAndTheHater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, FanboyandHater.Podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.